Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started Betfred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetfredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall, the number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey. Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall. And a week after the Rangers let go, both John Davidson and Jeff Gordon, Chris Jury, the new president and GM of the New York Rangers, decided to move on from Coach David Quinn as well. Probably not a surprise to most Ranger fans. There is the BU connection there, so he thought there might be a chance that he held on to Quinn for one more season. He did have two more years left on his contract, but a guy who Drury actually um, supported during the hiring process of Quinn the first time around, I think ultimately it comes down to it's a uh, Drury's the new voice of the organization. Uh, he needed a new guy in the locker room. And I, I think, unfortunately for Quinn, you know, all the rumors I've seen there that the that Gordon and JD were going to give him another shot another season with his young team. And I think uh, the pressure of Dolan and the win now, I think Jury probably wants to go with a more experienced coach um, and just get a new voice in the locker room and just change up the culture a little bit. So not a major surprise, but now the Rangers are looking for a new head coach. The entire staff was let go except for Benoit Allaire. The Rangers goalie coach, who's been there for many years now, uh, Henrik Lundqvist credits him uh, with you know a lot of his success, uh, success in his career. We've had on a bunch of goalies that have played for him. Um, they rave about him. Steve Lemonade uh, raved about him. Mackenzie Skapsky raved about him. Uh, seems like every guy that comes to the Rangers uh, leaves better because of the coaching from him. So not a surprise they kept a lair. One guy I was surprised, so I thought they might retain no matter what, was Jocks Martin, who after just one season with the Rangers defense, I mean, you've seen the, the improvement in the Rangers defense this year was great. I mean, he was uh, great for that young team. I thought they might keep him because the success that Fox had underneath him and Keandre and, um, I mean, even look at Brendan Smith had a, a better year than the year, a couple of years before that, so... You know, whatever system he installed, it was it was working. Um, so I'm surprised they did let uh, Martin go, especially because he is a very experienced NHL coach. So whoever they bring in, I guess they will probably bring in a veteran coach anyway, but uh, whoever they bring in, I thought he would be a fit on anyone's staff. Um, obviously, the Rangers didn't feel that way and let him go. Maybe he wanted to leave. Who knows? But So they're left now looking for an entire new staff except for Allaire. Uh, and then... Looking at the candidates, to me, I think it's a two-horse race here. You have Gerard Gerland, who last year got let go from Vegas after the Cinderella season run two years before that as an expansion team to the Stanley Cup. Gerland has 541 NHL games uh, under his belt as a head coach. He won the 2018 Jack, um, Jack Adams Award, which is for the coach of the year, and he has 270 wins in those 241 games, and his team gets a point in 60% of the games 
he's coached. Right now, it seems like the general consensus for Ranger fans is this is the guy. This is the guy everyone wants. Um, he's the hot name in the market. He struggled in his first stop as a head coach with Columbus, then was an assistant coach for many years, went to, I believe, the QHL, the, the uh, Quebec Junior League, and was a coach of the year up there, resurfaced in Montreal, and then ended up becoming the head coach down in Florida. Had a couple good years in Florida. Uh, in the second year, he led the Florida Panthers to the playoffs after years of struggling. And then he was let go after a slow start in his third season. And kind of, you know, very similar for Vegas. So um, they go, they make their run to the cup. Next year, they fall short. Third year, they get off to a kind of a slow start. Not even that slow of a start. They were slow over 500. But um, Vegas decided to move on from him and get a new coach in the locker room and Pierre DeBoer. So Gallant's been sitting out there since last year. Coming into the season, I thought he was a home run to be the Seattle coach uh, just because of the experience he had of uh, coaching a expansion team. But, I mean, if the New York Rangers call over the Seattle, over the Seattle expansion team, I'm like, you're going to New York. You know, it's not even a question asked, I would think, from him. When you look at this roster, the Rangers have to be the, you know, on top of being just in New York in general and all that comes with that, I, I think they're definitely the destination job right now to get. Uh, I think the pipe dream coach for any Ranger fan right now is Rob Brendamore down in Carolina. I just think he's a great coach. That Carolina team is really good, extremely disciplined. Uh, he's, you know, he seems like he's a tough-nosed guy, but he also is like a player's coach. I saw a quote come out that, you know, it's, it's a different coaching. Like, he, you know, he, he was describing his coaching strategy, and he was saying that you know, nowadays, you know, you have to coach up the player, not down the player, which I think is what this young team needs. He is a free agent at the end of the year. He apparently has a handshake agreement with Carolina to return, and I don't know what that means. Uh, the rumor was it was a $1.8 million contract extension he was signing, which seems extremely low for a coach of his caliber. He'll definitely get a better deal in the open market, especially from the Rangers, um, if he were to leave there. So... You know, I think he's a coach to keep an eye on, but I doubt he leaves Carolina. You know, he was a, uh, a player in Carolina for many years. He obviously enjoys it down there. So, you know, maybe, maybe he does take the, uh, the pay cut, quote-unquote, to what he would get on the open market to stay in that area, and that's what the team can pay. So he just won't be a candidate. But, I mean, you know, for a pipe dream, I think he's the guy that you have to root for. And then our old friend John Tortorella, uh, Torts, Mutually, quote-unquote, agreed to leave Columbus. Uh, I don't know how mutual it was. I feel like Columbus wanted him out of there. The two-time Jack Adams Award winner as well. Uh, he won the Stanley Cup with Tampa um, back in, was it, 03, 04? And he, you know, he's no stranger to the Rangers bench. He spent parts of six years with the Rangers. Um, you know, four, he had five full seasons. Four of those years, he took them to the playoffs. I mean, you know what you're getting at torts. He's a tough nose, no nonsense, in your face coach. I as much as you want to say the Rangers need toughness, the Rangers need that, I don't know if he's the right fit for this team. I just this team's not a torts team. There's no Ryan Callahan, there's no Dan Girardi, there's no Mark Stahl. There's no guys that are blocking shots with their teeth. Like I understand he's you know, the teams that he had in Columbus were a little bit different than those Ranger teams. They played with a little more skill, but still I, I don't know. I just don't see, you know, what is, you know, he's gonna bench, you know, uh, bench Lafreniere after like a shift of him not blocking a shot. I, I don't know. I, 
I'm sure he'll adapt, but I don't know how well he fits with this roster currently. I know they're going to change things up. I know they're going to bring in some more, um, you know, scrappy players, some, you know, guys who'll drop the gloves. Uh, just like you were playoff, you know, I guess playoff hockey type guys you want on your roster, but I just don't see it. And I know he's tight with Dolan. And Dolan seems like he's back in the fray here and making decisions for the Rangers, which is the worst thing any Ranger fan can want. Uh, as a Nick fan, you've seen him just destroy that franchise, and finally they have someone who can run the team, and he's quiet right now, so now he can bother the Rangers. It, he's just the worst. He's the worst owner of all sports, but I think if he has a big say in this whole process, it, Tortorella might be the guy at the end. You know, I know Drury played for Torts. I don't know what their relationship was from what I've read this last week. It wasn't the best relationships, but he was the captain of the team under him. So they definitely have a lot of experience with each other in the locker room. Um, so, I mean, that's that's something to think about, uh, you know, negatively or positively for Tortorella to come back. You know, if Drury has, you know, bad memories of him and um, didn't like the way he conducted himself in the locker room, then... You know, then maybe he puts his foot down to Dolan and he doesn't come back. But at the end, you know, you just can't, you can't take him out of the running from, you know, the experience he has, you know, well over a thousand games coach. He's got a Stanley Cup on his record, a couple coach of the years, and he's coached, you know, a lot of games in New York. So he knows what New York's all about. He's led them to the playoffs a bunch of times. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, personally, if I was to me, Gallant or Tortorella, I'm taking Gallant. Just to, not to, I don't know, just because I think he's a better fit for this Rangers team right now. There's a couple other guys who will definitely get some interviews. I don't know. It seems like Rick Tockett, who was just let go by Arizona. Um, everyone's got him penciled into the Seattle job because of his connection to Ron Francis, who's running the Seattle team. But, I mean, Tockett's a good coach, too. Hi everyone, I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me, I have been his patient for more than 20 years, and he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Another guy, you know, a hard-nosed guy, but I think he's, you know, just because he's a little bit younger, um, maybe more of a player's coach. So I think Taka's a guy who'll get a lot of looks from teams this offseason. Patrick Waugh seems like he wants to be back into it, which is an interesting name because Waugh played with Drury back in um, their days in Colorado. He had okay success in his uh, tenure as a Colorado coach. He really did a good job with a junior program. I forget the name of the program now, but uh, the Quebec Ramparts. He did a really good job up there. And then he left that program and came down to coach Colorado. I believe he returned back to that program. Um, so, I mean, he has experience as an NHL head coach. He has, obviously, you know, an unbelievable resume as a player. 
He's he's done a very good job developing these junior players. So, I mean, he's a name to uh, name to watch. I think just because of familiarity with Drury, maybe, but also because of his ability to from the junior level to um to help young players. So, I think when you look at the Rangers roster, you definitely need a guy who will you know help these guys move along their careers and. and I, when you look at Quinn, you would think that he, from the college level, was the guy to do that. So, and some guys improved, some guys didn't. And, you know, look at Puchnevich definitely improved underneath him, but you know, a lot of guys just did not improve. So, yeah, I think they definitely whoever they need, they need a guy who can influence this young young core and and get the best out of them. But you know, as as while that guy Claude Julian, it was let go from the Canadians from his second stint in Montreal. This last season, he is a Stanley Cup winner uh, as well with Boston. Uh, you know, Julian, another guy, you kind of know what you're going to get. Um, just a really solid head coach, a lot of playoff experience. I think he would fit well with this team, too. I don't, I just don't think he's too high on the list right now. A guy who I think is a possible, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would say that he's not really a candidate, but a guy to watch. I think he will actually get an interview because he was Drury's coach. With Colorado is Bob Hartley. Has been he's been on the NHL for a couple of years now. He's actually been over in the KHL for the last three years, but he just won the KHL championship this last season. This guy's won everywhere. He's won juniors, AHL, Stanley Cup. He won in the Swiss League. So every league he coaches in, this guy's wins. And when you think about Hartley, I was shocked when he was only sixty years old. I would thought he was a lot older than he is, just because of his long resume. So he's a guy who I think. Could be a long shot candidate. Um, someone to keep an eye on. I would not be surprised to see him get an interview here soon. It seems like the only guy who has interviewed is Gallant, and that's because he is coaching Team Canada over in the World Championships, which I believe start next week. So um, they got the interview in before he headed over to Latvia for that. And then obviously Chris Knobloch, the Rangers AHL coach. I don't know what how much consideration he's going to get. Um, you know, we still have him fill in for a couple games this year. Obviously, the Rangers play well while he was there. He's done an excellent job in the AHL uh, with Hartford. Um, he's won another guy who's won at every stop he's coached at. He, you know, had a very good junior program in, in Erie. He coached uh, Connor McDavid while he was there. And obviously, Connor is <laughs> pretty good. So whatever development he helped Connor with, um, obviously, is a major plus in the resume for him. So... You know, I think he's a guy who I, I wouldn't think he leaves Hartford. I think he stays in Hartford. But, you know, maybe he does get a, a bump to an assistant coach with the Rangers. I don't know if he gets an interview for head coach, but I think he's definitely a guy who's going to stay in the organization. And um, I think that's great for the Rangers because he's definitely very good with young players. As you can see, every stop he's made, uh, he's won at, and a lot of it's been um, at a junior or minor league level. So he has great success helping those young guys. And I've been watching the playoff games. This, this is Sunday night, so we just wrapped up the first round, uh, first couple games in the NHL playoffs. And looking at the Vegas and the Florida game this week, man, that was awesome seeing full crowds. I mean, the crowds were crazy. It, it was so great to see, so great to hear these crowds screaming again. And playoff hockey just intensifies it so much. And it just makes you want to be back at MSG so bad with 18,000, 19,000 screaming Ranger fans for playoff hockey. And I just can't wait for his team to get back there. I think they're so close. And I think I honestly think next year, next May, we're sitting at MSG for round one for the Rangers with a sold-out garden, and I cannot wait. I can't wait. I really can't. 
I was getting so pumped up watching those games tonight. And just thinking about, oh, man. And I'm like, you know, looking at Ranger stuff all night long. And I'm like, oh, I need some Ranger updates. I need something to stay positive here because I, I just, we need to be back in the playoffs. And it's, the playoff atmosphere was great. This, the Florida-Tampa series is going to be awesome. I mean, those teams have a hatred for each other, which is awesome for any playoff series. But, I mean, they went at it for the full 60 minutes tonight. Ryan McDonough set up the game winner. And we got some good former Rangers in there. Uh, Keith Yandel had a couple assists for Florida. So a fun series to watch. I'll definitely be tuned into that series. And uh, I think the Canadian teams don't start until next week because they had a couple of uh, COVID makeup games that ran over this weekend. So I'm looking forward to though, a couple of those series. I think it's Edmonton-Winnipeg is the one series I have circled here. See my man Neil Pionk. And obviously I'm pulling for... Zuccarello and Talbot. Talbot has had a 42 uh, save shutout today. So um, his second NHL career shutout. I think he's one of only a couple guys to have a shutout on two different NHL teams. Um, he had one with Edmonton a couple years ago. So it's good to see Zook and, and Talbot up in Minnesota. So I'll be rooting for them. Uh, it'd be great to see Zook at a cup. You know, another guy who just an unbelievable Rangers player, an unbelievable guy. And uh, you can't help but root for him. Uh, what an underdog story he's had his whole career, and he was he played really well today too. But yeah, Talbot was the star of the show up there, forty two saves. So I'll be pulling for Minnesota. I'll be pulling for Pionk and Winnipeg. I don't know if I can root for Carolina just because one, I want them to falter so we can maybe steal their coach, and uh, two, I just have I don't know. I I still don't like Carolina after the sweep of last year in the playoffs. So I I don't know if I can really pull for Shea. And uh, and fast down there to to get a cup, but you know, obviously, always keep an eye on Tampa because McDonough, and uh, I'll keep an eye on that series just because I think it's gonna be great. But I'll keep an eye on McDonough and Yandel down there. But you know, playoff hockey's here; it's great. You know, nothing better than playoff hockey, especially with these fans. I mean, the fans back in the crowd make it even better. So it was a really great opening uh, opening night for the for the uh, NHL playoffs. And we have a really special guest this week. We're joined by former New York Ranger. And just an overall great guy, a veteran of 631 NHL games, Mr. Jason Strudwick. So we talked to Jason. He had some great stories. Um, if you're an Islander fan, you're going to want to listen to this too because he tells a uh, Mike Milbury story that it's just, it, you see why that franchise just fell apart under him. Just what a what a great story about Milbury. But, um, you know, Strudwick spent part of three seasons with the Rangers, and he tells some great stories about he's on the, 05-06 which is one of my favorite Ranger teams ever. It's right after the lockout. And, uh, you know, the Rangers kind of had a bunch of, as he he said in the interview, a couple of, uh, you know, crazy spare parts. They all threw together, and they all came together. And Yager had a big year, and they made the playoffs for the first year since I think it was 1997. So just a really great year for Ranger fans to look back on. And, and you know, that team was such underdogs that you can't help but root for all those guys. And uh, Shudrick was a big part of that team. They had the Merrick, uh, Malik, shootout goal this year that year and uh we talked about it in the in the interview but you know Shudrick was I think the 14th round guy before him that scored and Jason Ward who was on the show and I was talking to him before the show he's like we were more surprised that Shudrick scored than Malik so what a really great interview so we'll send it to the interview now
We have a very special guest today. We are joined by a veteran of 674 NHL games, 14 NHL seasons, and you can hear him daily on Edmonton TSN 1260. Jason Strudwick, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, relive my uh, legendary career. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go way back to your junior career. You're playing the WHL for the Camelos Blazers, and what a wagon you guys had back then. Unbelievable team. You won back-to-back. WHL championships, back-to-back Memorial Cups on a completely stacked team, including yourself, which you don't, you know, an unbelievable NHL career that you had, but Darcy Tucker, Shane Doan, Jerome Ginla, Tyson Nash, I mean, what a team you guys had. So let's talk about that time. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years, and he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. You know, I was pretty lucky to end up in that situation. Uh, you know, growing up, I was not a phenom. You know, it was, I wouldn't say I was exceptional in, in any way. I was big and, yeah, I was a little bit mean. Um, you know, we, I, I just played because I loved it. You know, I had no expectations. Uh, my, my biggest dream was to maybe play for the university here, University of Golden Bears. We used to go to a lot of those games and I would love to play for them. So, you know, it was late. I didn't go to the junior Western Hockey League till after grade 12. Um, and I got approached and, you know, Camus said, if you come for three years, we'll give you four years of college paid for. So I said, sure. So I go there and I walk into this situation where we had, as you outlined, a, just a stacked team. I mean, between, um, you know, Iginla and Doan and all these guys, we arrived and with, you know, we didn't really know how good we could be. Uh, and in the end, you know, in, in two years, you know, we, we, we won so many games, so many championships. It was just crazy. And, uh, you know, I got into the right place at the right time with great coaching, great people to be around. And uh, they got me ready for the pros. It was, it was amazing. I look back and, you know, sometimes you got to be good. Sometimes we got to be lucky. And uh, in that situation, I was definitely lucky to be at the right place at the right time. And, you know, I was, I was ready. My, 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 my skill set exploded uh, in that league. You're talking about your skill set and how you were kind of a late bloomer, I guess, when you said you weren't noticed until grade 12. Were you always the same size? I mean, it's, were you 6'4", right? Were you always that height, or did you grow into that? Yeah. No, I was always one of the bigger guys. Um, but you know what? I, I Like I said, I, I, you know, my two cousins are the Niedemeyers. And so, 
you know, we'd go to camps together and they were so good. And I was, you know, maybe slightly above average, you know, um, as far as at these camps. And so I just saw them and I'm like, oh, these guys are awesome. I'm not even the same ballpark as them. Um, but I, I didn't, and I, I wasn't jealous or anything. I was just like, they're just better. Like, that's just the way sometimes life goes. And, but I loved it. I loved the game. And um, I played because I loved it. You know, I, I think of all the times, um, you know, growing up that I'd be, you know, I was trying to get in shape. I'd be running or biking, really no idea what I had to do. But that kind of built a foundation of effort and hard work that was required. And then to get to camps where Don Hay was the head coach, and he knew exactly how I had to play to be successful. And he, he outlined it very clearly. Um, I had to be, you know, hard-nosed and, you know, tough to play against and make life uncomfortable for the other team in front of the net in the corner. And, you know, I'm not a real aggressive guy off the ice. I, I don't like to honk my horn. I don't yell at people. Uh, but when I get on the ice, I turn into, um, you know, a, a quite a mean person. And uh, I loved it. I love that. I love that style of play. I, I still like it. And, um, you know, I gravitated toward it. And I, I was very proud to do it that way for a long time. And in your first year in the WHL, you get drafted by the New York Islanders in the third round, uh, 63rd overall. Was that uh, where you were slated to go? Did you attend the draft that year? Mm-hmm. No, so I was, I think I was ranked like fifth or sixth round. You know, again, I, I wasn't even on the radar the year before, like, you know, I, I, so my draft year was actually the year before and I, obviously I didn't get drafted. And, um, I think even the Christmas, like the rankings were different then. I think the hockey news was the only one doing something. And I don't even know if I was ranked at Christmas. Um, but we got on, I know, and I didn't really play well till Christmas. And then at Christmas time, I kind of found my stride. And, uh, I remember Don Hay coming in and bringing me in and said, listen, you don't have to fight. But you've got to play hard. And quite honestly, you're a big guy. Guys are going to want to fight you whether you play hard or not. So you may as well get your shots in. So I did. I started taking my shots at guys and being mean. And I kind of took off and the team took off. Um, I moved up to the second pairing where I was there for the rest of the year. Um, and I just, you know, the more you play, the more scouts get to see you. You know, you, you play in the first round, second round, third round of Western League. Um, so I was just my, my clock here, my grandfather clock. And then we move on to, uh, you know, the, the, the Western League final. And then Memorial Cup. So all these scouts see you and they're like, geez, this guy can maybe play. And um, so, like I said, I wasn't, I don't even know if I was ranked at Christmas. And then I think I was a fifth or sixth rounder. I was just, I didn't even think I'd get drafted, to be honest with you. And then I got a call. The draft was in Hartford. And my agent said, just stay home. So I did. And I got a call, um, you know, early one morning. And my mom comes in the room. She's like, I think there's someone on the phone for you. And so I pick it up, and it's one of the honors reps. Like, we just drafted in the third round, and I couldn't believe it. I just was, I was blown away. Um, you know, up until that point, I never thought I could play in the NHL. Uh, but when I got that call, I started to believe in myself. And I remember my mom and dad and my sister, she was at school, and my, my dad was at work. My mom wasn't working that day. Uh, so we took my sister out of school. My dad came home from work, and we went to lunch at a place called Earl's. Um, you know, and just, and that was our celebration and um, two weeks later, I get a, a package from the Islanders with an Islander jersey, no logo or no number, no name. I just hung into my room and I'm like, well, let's take a run at this. So I, I did. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was the day I decided that, I, you know, I was going to give everything I could to try to be an NHL player. And, um, and, I, and I, 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 I maxed out my, my potential. Um, unfortunately, my potential wasn't, you know, super high, but... You know, almost 700 games is a pretty decent run. Yeah, not bad. Not bad for 700 initial games. So you leave Camelot after two years, and you head to uh, the AHL. You head to the Islanders organization. You play in the AHL for the full season. 
but you get one NHL game that year, your NHL debut against Hartford, and you get into a fight in the first period. So what was that NHL debut like, and like what emotions were going through in that locker room beforehand? Well, I think it was like a Saturday game, Saturday late afternoon game. And um, so we had a game in Worcester the night, the Friday night. And before the game, my coach comes out to me. He's like, you're getting called up after the game. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you're getting called up after the game. And I remember I was so worried. Um, I'd get hurt. So I, I played, I don't think I touched anybody. I, I remember one guy asked me to fight. I'm like, there's no way I'm fighting, buddy. Like, I'm going to the NHL after this game. <laughs> so I drive all the way to Hartford from Worcester and uh, arrive there late and, uh, you know, get up and play. And I, I remember thinking, I got to do something because I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to, you know, I, who knows, I'll get back. So I'm like, I'm going to fight someone. And uh, Kelly Chase was in the lineup that night. So, you know, he, he wanted to fight. I'm like, you better believe it. So we fight the first time and he's a tough guy and we only get two minutes. And I'm like, oh God. And so we're in the penalty box and he's like, Stradwick, we're going again. We're going again. I'm like, you better believe it. And so I'm, I'm looking at the clock and the clock's ticking down. I'm like, oh my God, I got to go fight this animal again. And then we had a pretty decent fight, and um, you know that was it. I, I, you know, I played the rest of the game, and I felt good about my game. And again, that was another step, you know, because you get drafted and you go to the minors and you're playing there. And my year in the minors was going okay, um, but then I, you know, I, I, I kept playing that game. And I'm like, you know what? I can actually play here. Like I can do it. You know, you have to keep in mind I was a third rounder, and you know it's pretty decent. But you know, the team and the GMs—they're not all telling you like you're the answer, right? The media's not talking about you know, oh my God, this third rounder is going to save the Islanders. So you really got to kind of have those steps and those belief systems in yourself that you can do it. Um, so that was a huge step. Um, you know, unfortunately, that the whole next season I didn't get called up one time. Um, you know, we we got to uh, Kentucky. There was the Dano Char was there, Jason Holland was there. Um, so some pretty good players. And I was like, um, you know, I got to find my way. So I just, I just kept trying and battling and trying to improve. Um, but you know, that first NHL game was like big milestones was going to Cantaloupe's, getting drafted and playing that first NHL game, knowing that I could play with those guys. Um, because it's hard to really see yourself. I've never really competed with that level of player, uh, ever in my life. Like no, no world juniors, no, no team Canada, nothing, you know? So, uh, that was a pretty big step. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. So you, you go to Kentucky the next year. First off, what is hockey like in Kentucky? And the Thoroughblade is one of the best names of a minor league team I think uh, we, I've ever heard of, which is a great name. Yeah. And then playing with a young Chara, what was Chara like? Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome place to play. Like, just the people were amazing. I love it there. I still have friends there. Um, beautiful place. Um, you know, Chara was amazing. He's a, f- a physical freak. He actually would come and work out with us in the summer here in Edmonton. Uh, we had uh, the Islanders had hired a personal trainer, and he came in here. And the guy just, you know, we like I worked hard, but this guy, you know, he worked harder than I did. And I thought I was excessive. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy's a, a machine. But, you know, he really couldn't skate. He couldn't get around very well. Um, but he worked so hard and proved so much and was so strong that um, you could see it was coming. You could tell, like, you know, he was going to be something to handle. It's a, like a, a big problem in the NHL for people to handle. And he, I mean, I didn't expect him to go on and do this, but his work ethic was off the charts at that age too. Um, but, you know, we had a young team there and living in Kentucky was great. And, um, you know, it's difficult because we had a shared team, San Jose and Islanders, right? So two teams trying to share players, who gets to play, who doesn't get to play. And um, you know, I was a little bit naive, I guess, to it. I just kind of played when I could. Um, but I kind of, I was learning how to fight then, how to be a better fighter. Um, cause if you're going to be mean, you're going to have to fight. 
And, uh, you know, it was a long year. I got in a lot of fights, but, you know, whatever. You, you figure it out and, um, you know, life goes on. And then your third year as a pro, you split time between the Isles and Kentucky. And then you find out you get traded to Vancouver. I have to think after being kind of yo-yoed up and down between the AHL and NHL with the Islanders organization, that was a welcomed uh, trade for you going back to Canada. Yeah, so, you know, going back to that third year, uh, my first training camp, I really thought I had a chance to make the team. You know, I was feeling good about myself. I'd, I'd, I'd worked on a lot of things. And I get there, and it was clear within hours of being at training camp, they had no intention of me being around. Um, in fact, I was, again, not a lot of chance to play, nothing. And I was told to play in a rookie game, which those are for rookies. And I was 22. So I go into this game thinking, okay, you know, why, why am I here? And I look over at our, their rosters, the Rangers. They had all these fighters, like just fighters all over the place. So... You know, I, I, um, I'm like, okay, we had no fighters. I'm like, I guess I'm the guy. So I fought three times in two periods. And then I literally kicked myself out of the game. I'm like, I think three fights is enough. And I did well. I fought, I fought some tough guys and did well. And I, I barely get into the dressing room and uh, Mike Milbury wants to see me. So I walk in there and I, my ass doesn't even touch the ground. He's like, you know what, buddy? You're never going to play in the NHL. We're sending you down. Um, there's no place for you in this organization. Um, you know, you can ask for a trade, but no one's going to want to trade for you. My suggestion is that you go back to school or be, get a, into coaching because this isn't for you. Have a great year down there. You're going to get to play, but you, you, will not, you will not continue this organization. So, you know, obviously a very supportive GM, and Mike Milbury has a great track record of identifying um, talent. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I go down and uh, go down the minors. And uh, on the way down there, I have a decision. Like, do I'm just going to party my ass off or am I going to keep going? And I really felt I was close. Like, and I'm a pretty level-headed guy. Like, I, I don't... You know, I don't think I'm going to win the lottery, you know. So, um, you know, Vasily Tikhanov was our assistant coach down there. I'd worked with him the previous year, and he pulled me over. He said, hey, you're really close, man, like really close to being an NHL player. Just keep working. We'll double down what we're doing. And I'm like, okay. So I, right from day one when I got down there, like, remember, I was an early cut uh, from the Islanders. So I was working my ass off, um, putting in time before and after practice, on the ice, off the ice, going to the gym at night, like all those kinds of stuff. And, um, you know, we, we um, I, was, I was playing really well. And I remember the head coach um, that had been there before, he's like, you are really doing a good job. Like, you are, for what I do, again, for what I was being physical, killing penalties, like shutting down the other team's top line, it was really going well. He's like, stay with it. Like, stay with it. Don't worry about the under say there's lots of teams. So um, right before Christmas, or just right before, or right after Christmas, um, one of our other D-men got hurt. And so instead of calling up him, they called up me and Chara. And so I remember going up there thinking, this is my chance. I'm going to, I don't care what I do. I'm not going back down. So um, Chara, I think, I think Chara played the first game. Then we played New Year's Eve against um, Colorado. And I was running around, hitting guys, like slashing Forsberg. Like I was an, I was being quite a, a little rambunctious. Then I fought uh, Jeff Rogers and got a big black eye, but like I was on it. And so I just started playing more and more and more. And then I think, I think actually Z got sent down if I remember correctly. And um, I might be wrong, but I, I think he did. And uh, to his credit, I, I stayed up to, with the Islanders for probably two months. And, uh, you know, about two months into it, I remember Mike Milbury were in Tampa. I wasn't playing this particular night. And uh, he pulls me over on the bench after a morning skate. And he says, Strutty, I made a mistake, buddy. Like, you're going to be a you know, you've, you've, you've opened my eyes. So many people respect you. You know, we could see you being a leader here for a long time. We want to resign you to a long-term contract. Like, this is, you are an Islander. I'm like, yes, this is all I've wanted to hear. 
And, uh, you know, again, he's such an honorable guy. Two weeks later, I got traded to Vancouver. <laughs> right out, right out underneath me, oh, pulled man. the carpet. And um, so I was happy to get out of there. You know, I, I, you know, I would have been happy to stay in New York. And it wasn't like I had anything against Islanders. But, you know, there just comes a point where, you know, someone kicks you in the nuts repeatedly. Eventually, you got you to gotta move over a little bit, right? Um, so, but little did he know, he's the best thing he could have ever done for me. Um, I go to Vancouver, you know, Mike Milbury, or sorry, Mike Keenan was there, a guy who, you know, he had his own way of doing things. But, you know, I, I would spend almost five years there. Um, I grew up as a player, as a person. Um, you know, Mark Crawford became the coach there after a while. And he was, he, he was very intense, but he knew exactly how to play as well. And he, he kind of got me dialed into, um, you know, the type of, you know, a, a long-term solution to how I was going to play in the NHL. So, you know, Milbury, uh, you know, I laugh about it now. And at the time, you know, he wasn't my favorite guy. Um, but now you look back and, you know, everything happens for a reason. But I'm so thankful that I got away from, from his regime. I tell you what, you, I've had a couple of guys on here you, that played for the Honor Center time period. And you was here, like Rich Pilon talked, you know, negatively about him. Like, it's just, you see why that team struggled for so long with him and control and, and the, <laughs> the players that he traded away, like Chara. I mean, the guy, you know, turned yeah. into a Hall of Famer and he gave up on him for, you know, it was Alexi Yashin or whatever it is for the, just, you know, yeah. the Zygmunt Palfi career, career never took off under him. Just so many mm-hmm. players that were so good that he just, you know, there's a reason why he was never rehired again as, <laughs> mm-hmm. as a general manager. Um, so you touched on Vancouver. You get to Vancouver, Mike Keenan's there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are a Mike Keenan guy. I mean, a hard-nosed defenseman, drops the gloves. I mean, he must have loved you when you got there. Yeah, you know what? I knew I, I'd been traded for G- Gino Ojic, and I, you know, I didn't know Gino at the time, but he, he was a, a fixture there. And, um, you know, it's hard. I mean, I, I, I think, again, I was a little bit naive maybe about what was going on, but I was like, you know what? I, I got to make a name. And so, you know, Gino had made a comment the day, because we got traded for each other the day before the game. We played each other, uh, you know, Vancouver Islanders. So we were playing the next day and I was, he said, it, you know, I don't mind being traded. I still like being traded for nobody. So I have pride and I was pissed off. Um, so I, I, I fought him that night and, uh, I, and I didn't do well, but I fought him. And I, I remember coming, you know, after my five minutes, Brad May's like, I, I didn't know you were that tough. And I remember everyone on the bench was just looking at me like, what, is this guy a psycho? And I, I, I didn't think anything of it, but it was the best thing I could have done. It got everyone's attention that, like, I wasn't going to take shit from anybody. And, that, like, this was my team now. And, um, you know, I finished off that season there, and I, I came back the next year, and we had, you know, multiple guys like me that were kind of big. And the fans had to love it, too. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, they did, yeah. And, and, you know, multiple fans, or sorry, the next year, the multiple uh, players kind of like me. So I'm like, I'm making this team no matter what. So I, th- I think if I remember correctly, I played six exhibition game exhibition, and I had seven fights, and I, I was fighting anyone and everyone. I'm like, I'm, I know what Mike Keenan wants, and I'm going to fight like crazy. And um, the last one, I'll never forget, we were playing against Edmonton, and uh, you know, I got into a fight. Um, two, two, so I I'd fought in the first period, and then the second period, I kind of got caught up with two guys, and I ended up fighting again. And now, like, I fought, like, again, I think it was six or seven fights in, like, six games or something. And my hands are messed up. And I'm laying on the training table. And, uh, I'm, like, it's the last game before the, the end of the regular a- exhibition. I'm just bagged. And my hands are sore. My face is sore. And the trainer comes over. He's like, Stratty, I think you're done. Like, I wasn't concussed or anything. But he's like, I think, like, I think you're done for the, for the night. And I'm like, oh, and Todd Bertuzzi, you know, he was a good friend. He comes over. He's like, Stratty, like, I've, enough. Okay, we know you want to be here enough. Just... 
just enough. So I'm like, okay, good. I'll just sit here. So I find, I get like an ice pack on my hand. I'm laying down with my hand, ice being, uh, hands being iced down. And Mike Keenan walks in. He's like, you got another period in you? I'm like, you better believe it. And I'm like, I throw off the ice packs and I go back out there for the third. It's just like, what am I doing? What am I doing? But you know what? I made the team. And, um, you know, and you try to explain that to people now, like they 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 have they have no idea, like you know what what it was like, and you know again, I I mentioned it, I'm not a violent guy, I'm not you know beating up the mailman if my mail's two hours late, like I'm not that guy, but I just knew that's what I had to do, and um, you know, and and we had Donald Brashear there, and it was great because you know we had Brash, and he was kind of the the, the lead singer. And then he, he, before a game, he'd come up and say, okay, if there's any problems tonight, I'll fight Chris Simon. You fight anybody else. I'm like, deal. And uh, it worked out really well for a few years. He and I were kind of one-two, and our team never got pushed around. Um, you know, and Mike Keenan, you know, I, I give him a lot of credit. When he was fired, it, people don't know about it. He, he wrote a note to every single one, a handwritten note to every player. And all he wrote in mind was like, Stratty, it's coming. Keep going. Mike Keenan. And I was like, oh, that means so much. So, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty good memories for Vancouver um, and a lot of growth there as, as a player and as a, as a person. You brought up Donald Brashear. Obviously, you were there for the ugly incident between him and Marty McSorley. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. I guess just was what was the shock like on the bench and in the locker room and obviously the panic of what happened afterwards. So what was that whole night? If you can kind of like summarize, like what was going through that team's head and like what was it? I guess what the, the team's attitude after that. Well, you know, Marty had had a he was near the end of his career and, and Brash was beating him oof, like bad all the time. Um, you know, it's hard. It's hard when you're the king and then all of a sudden someone else takes your crown. And I think Marty just snapped. Uh, but I remember when it snapped, I was, you know, we were, I think it was in the third period and we were, I was at the far end of the bench and I just ran down the other end of the bench and I was yelling at them, like, we are going to kill you. Like, I'm, I'm just yelling at like their bench, <laughs> you know, you guys are all dead. And they were like, we had nothing to do with this. We want nothing to do with this. And Pat Burns is even distanced out, like, this is not us. And so we got on the ice and we were like, I was, we were ready to like, just destroy them. And they're looking, they're like, Strutty, we, we, we didn't tell them to do this. We don't want, we don't want any problems. Like I've never seen people cut deals faster than that team. <laughs> and, um, 
we were pit, like pissed. So um, I don't, I don't remember. There, I don't think there's maybe any altercations. Like they, they, honestly, they like honestly, I've never seen a team backpedal, and they, they were done. So we go in the dressing room after, and it never happens. But the GM was in there. Brian Burke came down. He's like, guys, how do you want to handle this? What do we want to say? And Marcus Nazan's like to the media. Marcus Nazan say, we fucking say whatever we want. And so we did. They asked us and we ripped, like everyone who was asked just said whatever they wanted. We weren't being politically correct. We just hammered on them. And, uh, you know, I know Marty and he's a friend, but, you know, at that moment, that was the wrong choice, a bad decision. And, um, you know, I'll never forget that. And, and, and Brash, the next day he came in to the, I couldn't believe he walked in the dressing room. He had like a, a black mark under his eye. I'm like, my head would have been still rolling on the ice. And this guy comes in and... Um, he was so tough, so, so tough. Um, but he, you know, Brash, he, he, he was so good for me. I, I remember uh, one time, I was my second or third year there, and I, I fought a guy um, from St. Louis, Reed Lowe. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know he was that tough. And he, like, he didn't knock me out, but he beat me around. Like, it was a long fight, and I couldn't get under control. And uh, I was pissed after the period. I was in the room, slamming things around, and he grabs me and brings me in the bathroom. He's like, what are you doing? Like, what are you talking about? He's like, if he goes, you never show your upset about a fight. Because if you're scared, how do you think everyone else out there feels? And I was like, no, I didn't really think about that. So after that, I never showed emotion. Win, lose, draw, you just fight and skate off, just like you just baked a cake. And, um, you know, it always worked for me. And then, then your teammates never get rattled about it. But Brash was so, so good for me. Like, I... I always, you know, when I, when I think of him, I always say, you know, thank you, because he was really important to my career. You brought up Marcus Naslin, who I think is one of the big underrated you know, superstars of that era. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he didn't, he put up big numbers in his entire career. I just don't think he got the uh, accolades that I thought he should have. And he ended his career in New York, and I thought he was a fantastic player. Mm-hmm. So I guess just touch on him, like what a special player he was to play with. And, uh, you know, did he do some things that you've never seen before on the ice? Yeah, you know what? He was he was such a he was um, a really good player. I, I think early in his career, he was really hard on himself, and then once he kind of let that go and let it flow, I think he really found his game. But and he could shoot the puck, and he was a great leader. You know, after Messier left um, Vancouver, he stepped in and took over, and man, he was good. He's such a good leader for our team, but just classy guy. You know, I still connect with him every now and then. Um, you know, I have a lot of good memories with him and and what he accomplished. But yeah, he was. Just a great, a great human being. And, uh, yeah, I, I gravitated toward those types of guys. The guys were just good people, and you wanted them to do well. You know, there's very few pricks in the NHL, but the guys were genuinely good people. I, I, uh, I, I always really want to spend a lot of time with them. And you just said Mark Messier. So Messier left the Rangers. He goes uh, to Vancouver. Keening comes in with him. They start the 94 crew again. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like going into that locker room as a young, you know, coming over and you're starting your career as your full-time NHL player and having Mark Messier as your leader? <laughs> yeah, he was my idol growing up. I mean, Gretzky was amazing, but I wanted to be like Mess. Like, he took care of his own business, you know, and no one ever pushed that guy around. And, um, you yeah, I remember when I got traded, I, I was nervous. I mean, we had McGillney, Burry, Messier, all these great players. So I went to hide in the, in the stick room. And I walk in there and there's Mark Messier. I'm like, oh, my God. And he's like, hi, I'm Mark. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know who you are. I'm Jason. And, and we had the best talk for 15 minutes. And he, he wouldn't remember it. But for me, like, you know, just to see a guy at that level talk to you, you know, just like we're talking right now, Kyle, like it was so special. Like I just, 
I um, and I learned a lot from him about being a leader. Like he he included everyone. When when he'd have a party or a dinner party, he would invite everyone on the team. And I'd, I'd be like, you know, mess. Actually, my mom's in town, or my dad. He's like, no, no problem. Just bring him. Or or you know, I have a a girlfriend. Yeah, that's great. Just bring her in. No problem. You know, friends, no problem. Whatever. Like he was just an amazing, amazing guy. And I always tried to do that after I was done. After I got older, I always included everyone. You know, hey, does anyone want to come over for dinner? What are you guys doing for Christmas? Like, what, like, and uh, I always appreciated that. Um, and he was, like, he was the best um, in that way. And I, again, I'm really lucky at that time to learn from him because uh, it served me well in hockey. And now in my post career, it's helped me as well. So after your five seasons in Vancouver, you moved on to Chicago as a free agent. That was your, I think that was your first time as a free agent, right? Before the Chicago year? Mm-hmm. So what was that experience like? Um, what was that experience like going into free agency? Yeah, you know, you go to free agency and you're, you're not really sure what's going to happen. Um, you know, the, the Vancouver Canucks opened the door for me, left the door open for me to come back. Um, but I was looking for somewhere I could maybe get a better chance to play. They had Brian Allen and stuff. And, you know, I just, I could see it right on the wall. I wasn't oblivious. So, you know, I chose Chicago. And, you know, looking back, maybe it wasn't the best choice. Um, but I thought there was opportunity to play there. Um, you know, we, we, it was a team in transition. Like they had a lot of Europeans with a guy who was very much Northern, uh, North America coach. Um, you know, it was, it was okay. Then the second year they traded everybody away and we were just, you know, we were just awful. Um, so I guess they got Jonathan Taze out of it and Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith. So, you know, I guess I started something, but you know, it was, it was great. I, and I love that city. Um, you know, I, I loved, I, I was able to, uh, I met my wife there. So, you know, that all worked out really well. But hockey-wise, I wouldn't say it was, um, it wasn't the experience I'd hoped it would be. Now, a guy that was on that team, uh, I've had on the show before, Theo Fleury. I talked to him about that year, and he kind of said that was obviously, you know, he had, you know, a really rough time going on. That was his rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Being a guy in that locker room, uh, I mean, what did you see from him that year? Were there writing on the wall for him that there was issues there? And obviously it all came to a head uh, towards the end of the season there. Yeah, you know, he he was a great. I really had a lot of time for Theo, um, you know, and he was great. Like, he was great to us and the way he spoke and talked. Um, you know, I think that he had some things going on in his life uh, that were um, – really affecting his play. You know, I, I, he, he wasn't, he wasn't really conditioned you know, for the year. Um, you know, he, he had some people around him that were trying to help him, but I don't, I don't think it really helped. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I don't know a lot about uh, addiction and things like that, but I learned a lot that year. Um, and it, it was, it was difficult to see a teammate going through that. And he would share, we'd go for dinner and, you know, he'd share stories about what he'd been through and, you know, I, I was pretty lucky. I grew up pretty, um, just a normal life in the West End of Edmonton. You know, we didn't didn't have a lot of uh, abuse, uh, well, no abuse in any in any kind. And uh, to see to hear those stories, and you know, you're like, oh my God. So you know, he wanted the best for him. Um, and we had guys like Chris Simon trying to help him. You know, Louis DeBrust was there for a while trying to help him. Um, and it was, it was difficult to see him. And, you know, now I, I, I communicate with him every now and then and see how he's doing. It sounds like he's doing great, you know, on a personal level. So, um, you know, you worry, you just worry about someone, right? And the thing is, you don't, I wasn't trained to really know how to handle it or to help him. Um, so you're just trying to be supportive in, in any way possible. But yeah, it was, that was a pretty steep learning curve that year about uh, what, what addiction can do to, to an individual and to, you know, uh, 
an extended team. Yeah, he's doing some great things now we have on the show. And, you know, he's now he's helping people who are having the same issue. So it's great for him to give back like that, especially a guy with such an NHL, unbelievable NHL career to have that uh, platform. It's, it's great. Yeah. And then, uh, so following your two years in Chicago, the lockout comes. Mm-hmm. And you go and play in Hungary. I think you're one of the only guys I've ever seen a hockey DB that says mm-hmm. Hungary, Hungarian Hockey League on it. So how did you end up uh, end up there? Mm-hmm. So my cousin and I, we, Rob Neumeyer, we, we, wanted to, we had talked about it the previous summer to go play somewhere together during the lockout. So I was just on the NHLPA website one day, and I saw a little icon. Are you interested in playing hockey? I'm like, yeah. So I clicked on it. They're looking for a forward and a D. I called the guy. He was in, he was helping the Hungarian team and he was in Toronto. I said, well, it's myself and Rob Niedemeyer. Like, you know, would you guys want us? Yeah, we're looking for a forward and a D and they're like, we're not going to pay much money. Like, that's fine. You know, we're not looking to, to, to make a lot of money, but you know, they ended up paying for our hotels and I think they gave us a car and some restaurants we could eat at and a bit of spending money, you know? And so we go there and um, it was unbelievable. And, you know, and I, you know, my time in Chicago, I, I, I did a lot of fighting, but I wasn't really getting to play. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if I said I lost the love of the game, but I, I'd kind of forgotten that I can actually make plays. And I was a player too. Like I wasn't just a, you know, hired thug. So, um, you know, going there, I was playing a ton and, you know, the league, the hockey wasn't great, but I, I kind of got that spark back that I was like, you know what? I can make plays. I can contribute in different ways. And I kind of got my mojo back and uh, I loved it. Uh, I absolutely loved my time there. And I think it really kind of re- just rejuvenated and re-energized re- uh, my, my, um, my, like my, my thought process of just being a player and not just a, a guy that goes out there and just abuses people. I hear that so much from guys who go overseas, especially during the lockout. I got a lot of guys that played like, you know, uh, uh, you know, a second level league or whatever. And they go and dominate for the first time since juniors. And they all of a sudden get the confidence back and they go back to the NHL. Mm-hmm. And you come back to the NHL the next season, you sign with the Rangers and you played uh, the 0506 season, which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. Ranger teams of all time. That's when the Rangers turned it around following the lockout. And it was the first time they made the playoffs since the 96 uh, <laughs> 97 season. And you get the training camp, and there's a kid named Henrik Lundqvist there making his NHL debut. What was Henrik like when you first got there, and what was your first impression of him? Yeah, I know that team was one of my favorites as well. We were just thrown together, and I, people picked us to finish last. And I remember looking around the room thinking, you know, we're not that bad. Like, I don't know what, what people are seeing, but there was a lot of misfits. You know, like it was the misfit toy island Uh and, uh, you know, I didn't, I had no idea who Henrik was. I'm not going to lie. When we got there, then, you know, training camp's kind of going on and I see him and I'm like, God, he's pretty hard to score on. And then we play some exhibition games. And I'm like, geez, this guy's actually like pretty good. And then, uh, you know, we get going in the season. I'm like, holy geez, this guy's amazing, <laughs> you know, and he was so young and, and just, but so competitive, so intense. And um, he was amazing. Like he, he just, I mean, he was a huge part of our team that year. And he was a huge part of every team he's ever played on, obviously. But that was huge to have him. Um, and it was such a fun ride. Like we made the playoffs there. We kind of ran out of juice towards the end of the year. But, um, you know, Yags and Straka and, you know, Rachinsky and uh, Ruchin, Kasparitis, uh, Vili Neiman, and like all these guys that people kind of pushed away or said, ah, they can't do it anymore. Merrick Malik, uh, Roosevelt, like... It was so much fun, and we just had a great time. And that city just loved us. You know, they—they they, I, I, at least that's what I felt. They embraced us, and we worked hard. And you know, Tom Tom Rennie was the right coach for that team at that time. He just understood what was the responsibility of playing in 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 uh, in New York was uh, supposed to be. 
Yeah, I mean, from a fan perspective, obviously, like you said, the city loved you guys because you were an underdog story. You were, you know, I mean, it was the the best hockey we've seen mm-hmm. since, you know, really the end of the 94 core left. And that was the first year, you know, Messi retired after sure. the lockout, you know, or I guess during the lockout, he retired. You know, Leach was gone. You know, Richter was gone. Graves was gone. So it was really the first team that kind of separated mm-hmm. itself from that 94 roster. So it was like almost like a new identity. Was, mm-hmm. And I always call it, that's the start of the new age Rangers. You know, and they kind of, you know, from that year yeah. on, there was momentum going through pretty much until 2018 when they started the new rebuild. Um, but I was talking to a good friend, Jason Ward, when your teammate on that, that team, he was on the show previously. I was talking this morning. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get some dirt on you. Give me a good strud story. He said yeah. you were one of his favorite teammates of all time. Great locker room guy. But he said he needs to, we talked about on the show too. He's like, just bring up the Malik night and the, <laughs> the shootout goal, he said, I still think about it. <laughs> so we, I know I talked about it with Cats Brightest and him, yeah. but I mean, what an incredible night that was. I mean, I can't even imagine what you guys are thinking on the bench, seeing him break that out. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, you know, and it, it uh, you know, it, we, no one really understood how important that that would be, right? Um, how important that, uh, hold on, I'll wait for my grandfather clock here to shut down. It's a, so my, uh, you know, we, we, we go, no one really appreciated how important it was, that, those points, right? It was, we were too casual with it. And I remember thinking like, oh, whatever, like we're not going to be a part of it. So, you know, we we're kind of going through it. And, and what happens in those shootouts is that the goalies stay awesome, but the players going up continually, like they, they just keep getting worse. You know, you're not putting, <laughs> the players don't get better. You put your best players at the front and then your crappy players at the back. So it got down to like just a few of us. And I remember they, Brian Muir scored. And then Tom Rennie called me out. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be the loser that doesn't score. I'll always be in the highlights, right? And I went down there and somehow I scored. And then uh, Malik went out there and did what he did. And, but that was just our team. Like we just, we found a way, you know, we, we just scrapped and uh, for every little inch and, you know, just surprised people, you know, people came up big at the weirdest moments. And, um, I mean, the energy in the room after was crazy. Like, people were going nuts. And the next night, Malik and I both got invited to go sit courtside at the Knicks game. And they played it on the, the Jumbotron. And uh, people were going crazy. And uh, we were both like, what the hell is going on? Like, you know, we, we, you know we're just kind of quiet guys. And here we are being celebrated as, you know, something special. So it was, it was a really cool night. And, uh, yeah, to, to be a part of that was just fantastic. The war did want me to say, people forget Shreddy scored before Malik. Which was, which he said was almost more uh, impressive yeah. than the Malik goal. Yeah. <laughs> and then Casparitis yeah. told yeah, me. Yeah, it was a surprise, that's for sure. I did not expect to score. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I mean, Olaf Kolzik's 10 feet tall, and I'm like, oh my God, what a. I don't know how I put it in, but it did go in. And I still sweat when I watch it because I'm like, there's no way I'm going to score this time. But it, it goes in every time, luckily. <laughs> Casparitis told me that he looked down at Rennie and said he was ready to go. And Rennie said that he'll go before Casparitis goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Casper, Casper didn't have the best hands. Uh, <laughs> not that mine were great either, but I think there was like me, Casparitis, Merrick Malik, and maybe uh, I think Fedor Toon had a broken finger. He'd broken in the third period. So that's it. That's all we had. So the cover was pretty empty. And then Weeks was going next after that. Yeah. Yeah. He might have been a better choice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you play with Yager. I mean, I, we've heard such great stories about him. Tell me your best Yager story. Man, there's so many. Um, 
you know, he was he he would he he he's a pretty gener like generous teammate, and he he always talked about fixing guys. So he was always on me about my stick, and he thought my stick was wrong. And I'm like, buddy, I've used the same stick for 10 years. Like, I don't want to hear it. So finally, one day, he's like, I'm done. So he goes and finds a stick that's similar to mine. And then he he shaped it and shaved it to get to where it was the same as mine, but it was a, a different quality stick. And he's like, use this. So I go out there and try it for, war or for a, a, a skate. And honestly, the difference was like night and day. I couldn't believe how much better my stick was. My, like, everything was better. He's like, I told you. I told you. He's like, okay, send this stick in to get it made. And he gave it to the trainer. They made a, I think it was Easton or something, sent it in. And between that point and those sticks coming in, though, it's about two weeks. So every time I need a stick, he would make a stick for me. So before a game, I'd be like, hey, Yags, I need a new stick. He's like, no problem, Strutty. And he'd be out there, like, building, it, <laughs> building up the stick, getting it ready. And then he'd, he'd bring it over to me, and all the guys are like, here's a guy that scored, like, 500 goals, making a stick for a guy that has, like, 10 goals. And uh, it was hilarious. Like, But he was like, and then when my sticks came in, he's like, okay, I fixed you. I'll move on to somebody else. But that's the kind of guy he was. Like, he he just, you know, he, he had such a bad reputation, I think, prior to arriving in New York. Then from that point, it's a different Yarmie Jagger. And, um, you know, he I loved him as a teammate. He was fantastic. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started Betfred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetfredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. The next year, you start the year off in the Swiss League. Um, was there no interest in the Rangers to bring you back right away? I know you ended up going to the Rangers at the end of the year, but was there no interest right away? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what happened was they they assigned a Russian player uh, that was going to be the new Jason Stradwick. So I was disappointed. I thought I had a good year. But it was weird. Like, when I was leaving there, I, I kind of felt like I um, I wasn't going to be back. It was weird, and I don't know why. But they signed a Russian player, and the guy, he never panned out. Um, so I had, a, at the time, I, had a, I actually had signed it or agreed to a two-year contract with the Islanders. And I was going on my honeymoon, and I hadn't signed him. My agent's like, don't worry about it. We'll sign when we get back. Well, the, Neil Smith, as GM of the Islanders, got fired and uh, without me signing the contract. So the deal never got done. So everyone else had filled up their spot of Jason Strike. So I had nothing. I went from having multiple teams to zero. So I'm like, what the, f what am I going to do here? So 
um, you know, I got a call from my agent late in the summer. He's like, hey, the Swiss team is looking for a player like you. Will you go? I'm like, yep. I was, I didn't even know what it was. I jumped on the plane and I was gone. And it ended up being a great year. And at that point, I thought my NHL career was done. I thought it was finished and uh, I was fine with it. Like, I played over 400 games. I never thought of playing in the NHL in the first place. So to play that much, and I had, I had a great, great experience. And I was happy to play in Europe. Like, I love Europe. And um, that year, in around November, I get a call from my agent. I'm in Switzerland. And um, he's like, the Rangers made a mistake. They want to bring you back. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, they, they want you to come back and play. Um, I'm like, I'm playing in Swiss League right now. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. They'll figure it out. They'll, they'll trade someone there and they'll figure it out. Like, he's like, what will it take? I'm like, well, you tell them I want a two-year contract this year and next year. And they're like, they're not going to like it. I'm like, I don't care. That's what you tell them. So he told them that, and they said, no, screw that. We're not doing it. I'm like, okay, no problem. So I was happy in Switzerland. Like, if that's the thing. Like, I was really happy where I was at. And so I, uh, I keep playing all that year. And then on the, on the, on the, after the season, I'm flying home um, back to my, my wife. And um, the, the phone rings, and I hear the phone in the Toronto airport and saying, paging Jason Stradwick. So I go and answer it. I'm like, hello? It's my agent. He's like, you know, where have you been? The Rangers want you to come play from the rest of the year. I'm like, what? Can I even do that? He's like, oh, yeah, you can do that. So I'm like, well, I'm in Toronto. I got to go get all my stuff. They're like, no problem. So I fly all the way from um, Milan, Italy to Toronto, fly all the way to Edmonton, get all my stuff, get back on the plane the next morning. So I get home at like 1 in the morning. I'm on the plane the next morning at 7 a.m. I fly all the way back to Toronto and all the way down to Atlanta. And the next day I played for the Rangers. <laughs> and, um, and so I played the last, I think, I think I played like eight, nine games maybe or something. Then everyone got healthy and they didn't need me anymore. So I was down to, uh, you know, the, so I just, I was like, okay, I guess I'll just go home. So Tom Rennie brings me in and he's like, you know what? The coaching staff and the players really want you to stay for the playoffs. I'm like, well, I can't play. He's like, no, no problem. We just want you around here. Can you please like um, just practice with the team? And just be around the team and, like, just just be a positive guy. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So for two rounds, like, I was just living a great life. I was living in New York, um, you know, in a hotel, practicing with the Rangers, hanging out. And then at night, I'd go out with my buddies. Like, I was having the greatest time. <laughs> Didn't go in, like, every other night I was watching the playoffs. Uh, but it was so funny. Like, I remember that first time when I got back to the Ranger dressing room. Like, everyone was so happy. They were hugging me. It was great. Like, we were so, everyone was like, so excited, right? Um and so then after that season, you know, I have another meeting with Glenn and he's like, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to sign you. I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, whatever. And um, uh, so finally he did sign me. So in the end, if he would have just signed me to the two-year deal, I would have missed all those other times, you know, like in the end I got what I wanted, but it wasn't the direct route I'd hoped for. What a shocker. Say they uh, went around the long way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, so you come back the next year and the next year I want to ask you two things about the next season. You played with Stahl and Girardi, who were just starting their NHL careers. Obviously, those were two of the core guys for the Rangers going forward to the rest of their um, run of being in contention there. What were they like uh, when you first came, you know, as a veteran in training camp and for the first season there? Uh, did you take them under your wing a little bit and try to show them the ropes of what the NHL was like? Yeah, I know that's a thing. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to inflate my... Um my skills on the ice. I was, I was a somewhat limited six, seven defenseman, but you know, I think that what I try to do is I always want to make the young players feel comfortable, you know, in the dressing room and on the ice. Um, you know, I think that's just kind of by including them, like I said, you know, for, for dinners or, um, you know, going on the road, going to see movies with them. And then obviously on the ice, like if anyone looked at them funny, it, it, there was a problem, you know, like you just want those young players to feel safe. Um, 
And so they can just do what they do. I mean, Stahl and Girardi were way better players than I was, but then I knew they were going to have a big part with the Rangers. So you just want them to feel good about themselves and um, feel like they can go and do things and, and, and not make bad decisions. And if they do make bad decisions then you're there to help them out, like that's your job as an older player to make sure you help them and try to miss some of those things. So, you know, they were, they were such good kids and, and just good leaders, you know, and they turned out to be such huge pillars. Uh, and I'd, I'd include Ryan Callahan in that group. Those three guys, I, I, I love those three guys. You know, I still am in touch with a couple of them. You know, the odd time we'll text or, you know, share a funny story or whatever. But those those guys, they were a huge part of that. And, you know, any franchise trying to start a, a really good run like that, you need three or four cornerstones like that to just get it and work hard and or, or treat people right, uh, include people in events. And those, those guys, they really understood that. That playoffs was the infamous Sean Avery Martin Brodor incident. I guess as a, from a team, are you in the lot? Like afterward, that happens. Like, are you guys like, what the hell just happened? Like, what are you doing, Sean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember Chris Drury just said, you know what? Don't do that. You're actually taking yourself out of the play. But you know, I'll say this about Sean Avery. I've never seen a player have a bigger influence on a game than he did in the role he played. Like, I remember New Jersey. We'd be playing them, and it, it, I could have skated from one end to the end to the other end without even being touched if I was on Sean Avery, because people were just chasing him around, trying to murder him, and it made it so easy. And I and he loved it. He absolutely feasted on that, right? So yeah, he he had such a big influence and impact um, for that team, and the fans loved him. I know we loved him. He had his moments, you know. And any teammate, it's like a family. Sometimes you got to put a guy back in his place, but he was. He was hugely influential on that team. Uh, his play on the ice was was huge. Any good Avery stories off the ice? Oh, so many. That guy is just, he was he was unbelievable. You know what? Like, we had, like, Brennan Shanahan, Yarmir Jagger, Merrick Malik, um, you know, myself. Like, if he got a little bit out of control, guys would bring him back in line, right? Um, but he, you know, and I, I, people didn't like him. I liked him. I had a lot of time for Aves. You know, we, you know, we had a few runs, but that's what happens with teams. You know, you just kind of figure it out. But yeah, he, uh, nothing I can think off the top of my head, but he was, he, he was so impactful on the ice. It was, it was mind blowing actually. And then you wrap up your NHL career. You sign with your hometown Edmonton Oilers. You played your final three seasons in the NHL there. Was that just a dream come true coming home and playing for them? Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, they, you know, to come back and be at home and kind of put down roots, I kind of moved around a bit. Um, I always knew I'd come back. Even now, I live in Edmonton. I knew I'd come back and live in Edmonton and, and be a part of this community. And, um, you know, my, my wife, she's American, so she got to settle in here. We, you know, she made a lot of friends, a lot of connections. Um, and then the big thing was like just to be able to share a bit of my NHL journey with my parents and my my sister and her family and my friends. You know, coming into the rink, um, you know, going down into the green room with the families, uh, going into the dressing room, like all these things I think that you maybe as an NHL player take for granted, but I really knew it was important to to share with my friends and family and get them autographs and all that stuff, right? Because it's, um, you know, you you forget how special it is, you know, you, to, to be in the NHL and to live that life uh, for as long as I did, I was pretty lucky, but I was lucky the last three years I could share with them and um, it was it was really cool. It was a really cool event. How bad were the uh, ticket requests coming into you? You know what? Not bad. Um, you know, I, I bought. I had. A, you, know, you get a couple tickets every night as a player. Then you can steal some off the rookies. And I had a couple season tickets I gave my parents. And I wanted to make sure they went, and they went to all the games, and they loved it. Like my mom, and dad are very social, and you know they were proud, obviously. Um, but I just wanted them to feel like they were, you know, 
kind of a weird way of saying thank you, right? Like just, you know, thanks. Like, I'm glad you can share this experience together. And, you know, I had some fun moments as an oiler, um, played in a building that I grew up watching Messi and Wayne Gretzky. And now, you know, I, 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 I get to talk to those guys and, and see some of the other alumni. So it's pretty cool. It's, it's been a very special, um, you know, really, just a really special thing to go back there and play. Very lucky, very lucky guy. So now you're working for TSN 1260 in Edmonton. You've been doing media for a while now. <laughs> I guess, what was that adjustment going from being a player to now critiquing players? Was that uh, an adjustment for you? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I really like what I do. Um, I, I, yeah, critiquing is a pretty good way of putting it, but I, I, I don't, like, I can't stand when people say, this guy's the worst hockey player ever. Like, there's, there's zero insight to that. And it's, to me, it's just useless. So what I try to do is I try to frame the good and the bad in a, in a, in a bit more of a, a um, detailed way. You know, like, I didn't like this play because of this, or I really like the way this guy's playing because of this. You know, and, and, you know, to use absolutes, like, this is the worst hockey player ever, or, this guy sucks, or they should trade this guy. To me, it's useless information, and anyone, my seven-year-old can rattle that off. A guy you play with, the biggest news, I think, in the NHL last two days is the uh, firing of John Davidson and, and your old teammate Chris Drury taking over the Rangers now. I guess just from playing with Drury and, you know, what kind of, what can the Rangers fans expect from him as the new leader of the franchise? Yeah, it's not a surprise that he is where he is. A really smart guy. Um, you know, he was a fun guy and, and smart guy, but he was always kind of, you can see he was a thinker. He's always thinking about, you know, how he can make the team better, how to make himself better. So I, I really have, I have high expectations for him um, and what he's going to do. You know, I just, just knowing him, he's a competitor. Um, you know, he, he, he looks quiet, but he's very competitive inside. And um, he's smart. Um, so I can't wait. I mean, he's got a really good start there. They've got some nice pieces. Um, I think they got to toughen up a little bit, but they've got some nice pieces there. And um, I think they're going to find uh, that this guy's going to find a way to turn this team around quite quickly. To be honest with you, you can probably use a Jason Strudek right now on this team. Yeah, I'd be kind of a dinosaur. So I think they need a guy like, uh, you know, like a Zach Cassian or something like that that can skate a little better. A Josh Manson, maybe that's the kind of guy they need. So growing up, obviously in Edmonton, like you said, you're, you know, a big uh, Messi fan, but Gretzky was there. McDavid is there now. People try to draw comparisons between the two of them. You know, you obviously are in the know there in Edmonton. Growing up and seeing, you know, you said your kids now, do you think there is, you know, you're kind of sharing the same special relationship with this one player in the city, kind of like you did with Gretzky? It's what these youth are doing with McDavid now. Yeah, I think you're asking about Connor McDavid. And Connor McDavid is um, just ridiculous. Like his offensive ability is is off the charts. I think what I like most about him, though, is that he's really recognized and he used to play, play kind of both ends of the ice. And he's taken a lot of pride in it. He made a comment the other day that, you know, Leon's come a long ways in that and he wants to be the same way. And <clears throat> when you're on a team and you hear your top player talking about having to be good in both ends of the ice, you better believe that, you know, you're going to be thinking the same thing. So if you are... Josh Archibald or Juja Kara, who plays on the third or fourth line, you better, you know, be as good or better probably than the best player in the world is at playing defense. So it just makes it hard to play against. And and he he is so explosive. You know, how many times have we seen him put um, defensemen on roller skates? You know, they're they're spinning around trying to get get back in space. So he is a ridiculous talent, and uh, we're really lucky to get to watch him here every night. Now, two last questions for you before I let you go, because I know you have a busy show coming up here. First off, what is the best 
prank or off-ice story you can share from your NHL career? You know what? I don't really remember many. I mean, I remember we had this coach in the minors, though, and our goalie, Jamie Ram, used to be a ranger. Um, somehow he'd sneak into the, the coach's room and nail his shoes to the top of the bench all the time. And Vasily Tikhanov would lose his mind. And he'd always blame me. And I'm like, why are you blaming me? Like, you're the one who's coaching me to be a better player. He's like, I know it's you. And he'd yell at me on the bus. I'm just sitting there like, buddy, I was with you on the ice. It wasn't me. And uh, so that was just classic. And we also, he'd also, not we, he would sew the bottom of his tracksuit pants together. And then, so he'd go and put his pants and he couldn't get it out. And this guy would snap. And it's Stretty, I know it was you. I'm like, buddy, it's not me. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I know who it is, but it isn't me. And he would just lose his mind. <laughs> and then of all the places you play in the NHL, what was your favorite arena? Oh, MSG. Like, it's not even... I love it there. I, I, you know, I remember the first time I played there as a Canuck, um, well, the first time I ever played there. Um, it was so special, like, to go in there and Gretzky was on the other ice, Messi was on my team. Like, it, Gretzky scored and I was on the ice. And I was like, yeah, good job, buddy. Like, you know, what are you going to say, right? <laughs> like, you just, it was amazing. I, I love that building. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm going to plan on bringing my kids back there and my wife. Um, to go see a game there because I, I don't believe there's anywhere else better to watch a game. The history in there, um, you know, it just always felt you were better than everybody else when you, you're a ranger playing in MSG. You know, like we're, we, we're representing the city and I loved it. I loved playing in that building. Oh, even, you know, even when we play as a visitor, I still loved it. Even though I hated it, I still loved it. Well, Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, talk to us today and all the best with your show. And what's your NHL uh, Stanley Cup prediction this year? Man, I don't know. I, I love Colorado. I love Miko Ranton and Kale McCarr, two of my favorite players to watch. Um, then on the other side, I don't know. There's something about Boston, man. I don't know. I, 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 it's a tough division they're in, but um, I like Boston. I like that addition of Taylor Hall. So probably two relatively unpopular picks, especially the Boston one, but I'll, I'll go Boston, Colorado. Okay. All right. Well, we'll be in touch then. We'll see what that happens. Who you got? Who yeah, see I got? what happens. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I... I like Colorado. Um, I think Vegas. I mean, Vegas right now, I think, is rolling on all cylinders. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I like Carolina to get in there. I don't know. Something about Carolina yeah. this year. Yeah. You're going to take Boston yeah. as your long Tough shot. I'll take up. Carolina. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Well, they did finish first in their division, so it's not yeah. that long of a shot. Don't be yeah. patting yourself on the back. A lot of people like Tampa still, you know, they're... Yeah, yeah, fair point. Fair point. Yeah, you know, they got point. Kucherov coming it. back. Everyone's saying Tampa's coming on, but I think I think I like the way Carolina plays. Yeah. I think they're built for playoffs. Yeah, hundred percent. Good coach too. Yeah, well, I I kind of wish he came to the Rangers. Yeah, yeah, it'd be fun to see him there. But thanks so much for joining me today, Jason. Anytime, Kyle. Take it easy, buddy. Thank you so much to Jason Shodrick for joining us this week. Uh, what a great guy! What awesome stories! Um, like I said, I love that 0506 Rangers team. So anytime we can talk to a guy from that team, uh, I really enjoy it. I still, I still laugh about that uh, Milbury story and just shows what dysfunction was going on in the Islanders organization while uh, he was there. And uh, you know, it's not a shock to trade away such great players and when we're we're so bad for so long because of uh, Milbury there. But thanks again to Jason for joining us. Thanks for sharing those great stories. And you can check him out daily on Edmonton 1260. Jason Greger. They do a great job. You can actually stream it on TSN1260.com, so make sure you go check them out. 
And that does it for episode 23 of the Broadway Hat Podcast. Please make sure you follow us on all social medias. You can check us out on Twitter at Broadway Hat Pod. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at the Broadway Hat Podcast. We are doing a new series called Rangers Cardboard Heroes, where basically we are getting donations of old Ranger cards sent us, and we're going to be showcasing them. So if you have old Ranger cards that you want to showcase this show and um, you know learn a little more about some Rangers players, make sure you go check out our new series and mail it in to us. DM us on, on Instagram or on Twitter, um, and we'll, uh, we'll give you the address to send it to. Um, I think it's a cool program we started this week. It's got a great response, and I think it's just a fun thing for Rangers fans to look back and uh, remember some of the guys from our childhood and see some cards that probably haven't seen since you were five, six years old. So um, I think it's a cool uh, a cool new series we're doing, and we're going to keep it going daily. So thanks, everyone, for the support on that. Please make sure you go to follow my personal Twitter at KHallNY for all New York Ranger updates. Make sure you go subscribe and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out when you guys do that. We're starting to climb up the ranks on Apple Podcasts, so thank you to everyone who's left the review, who subscribes, who's listening. Um, thank you, everyone, for that. Please make sure you go and follow us on Spotify as well, and also subscribe to us on Google Play, on Amazon, on Spreaker. Spreaker's been great so far. I think we're a month into our Spreaker partnership. They've been nothing but great. Make sure you go check us out on bellyupsports.com. And that does it for this week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF.